The Chicago region today is shaped by racial segregation of the past. Before redlining, which denied black people home mortgages, there were racially restrictive deeds and covenants. They were legal methods that white homeowners used a century ago to resist integration as tens of thousands of black Southerners started moving to Chicago. This spring, WBEZ asked the public to comb through old family property records to find restrictive documents. But WBEZ's Natalie Moore also combed through county property records and found her own personal connection to such language. She has the first of two stories. Ninety years ago, I could not have lived in my apartment because of my skin color. Unless I was a janitor, chauffeur, or house servant. The restriction that no part of said premises shall in any manner be used or occupied directly or indirectly by any Negro or Negroes. I live in a beautiful brick walk-up building in the lakefront Chicago Hyde Park neighborhood. We're on the top floor. Our 3,000-square-foot apartment floods with light from a sunroom in the front and one in the back. Apparently, the current dining room used to be the maid's quarters, right off the hall bathroom. Provided this restriction shall not prevent the occupation during the period of their employment of janitors or chauffeurs' quarters in the basement or in a barn or garage in the rear. Today, the neighborhood is lauded as a bastion of intellectualism and integration. But some Hyde Parkers played an ugly role in an ugly part of Chicago's housing history. Back then, Hyde Park feared a black invasion, given its proximity to the black belt. But Hyde Park was whiter, wealthier, and home to the University of Chicago, with resources to keep black residents out. My home was one of many addresses covered by a covenant, which often includes several blocks of properties. The document contains several pages of signatures from property owners. As a race reporter, I knew these covenants existed, but seeing an actual document proved more jarring than I thought. That evening, anger washed over me when I cooked dinner. I stood in my kitchen knowing the only way I could have occupied that space decades ago was if I were cooking for a white family. My lived experience of Chicago segregation jumped to another level. I found racial restrictive covenants like this in the basement of the Cook County Clerk's Office. The multi-step process is laborious because the records aren't digitized. It's a master class in unraveling red tape. You pour over several thick property books, search filing cabinets, and comb through handwritten ledgers before maybe landing on keywords such as race restrictions. You fill out slips of paper with documented page numbers to possibly get to microfilm or a request for documents from the warehouse. I spent five hours on my address alone. Racially restrictive deeds and covenants were prevalent in the Chicago area up until 1948. That's when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled them unenforceable. The way that covenants came to dominate and were used in the first half of the 20th century was as a result of um, real estate developers' work in cities that were facing new arrivals from the Great Migration. That's historian Liddell Winling, who teaches at Virginia Tech University. He is writing a book on various racist real estate practices. He is also a fellow at Newberry Library, which is preserving the documents we found ourselves and from the WBEZ public callout. A century ago, when Black Southerners migrated to Chicago, they were confined to the Black Belt. Many migrated from the South to escape violence, but Jim Crow of the North welcomed them. Wendling refers to covenants as a bloodless legal mechanism. Living in aging, dilapidated, or fire-gutted housing meant rats and infestation. Families paid too much, faced deplorable conditions. 
After the 1919 race riots, a commissioned report said, don't segregate housing in the city. The opposite happened. As home to the headquarters for the National Association for Real Estate Boards, Chicago wielded influence. This was kind of a a clearinghouse for ideas or like a nerve center for both centralizing and accumulating ideas about real estate practice and then sending them out to individual boards and chapters throughout the country. In 1917, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that local governments could not explicitly create racial zones like in apartheid South Africa. But another Supreme Court case a decade later upheld restrictive covenants on properties. The National Real Estate Board's general counsel in Chicago created a covenant template with this message to real estate agents and developers. You should use this template in your community wherever you are, Peoria, Wichita, Spokane, Tacoma, San Francisco, Philadelphia. And so um, we see a standardization and then kind of intensification of um, the use of covenants after 1926 and then 1927 when the model covenant is um, created. Millions of covenants were attached to properties across the United States. It's nearly impossible to quantify exactly how many of these legally binding documents cover the Chicago area. White neighborhood associations organized in favor of them, and property owners often paid $5 to sign their name to the covenants. Scholars say in the 1940s, more than 220 subdivisions in Cook County created or adopted covenants. African Americans did not accept second-class citizenry. Carl Hansberry won a U.S. Supreme Court case in 1940 when his family bought a home in the white West Woodlawn neighborhood. A white neighbor named Anna Lee objected. The Hansberrys prevailed, but only on a technicality. Not enough white people signed the covenant. I also found those documents in the basement of the county clerk's office. Daughter Lorraine Hansberry was eight years old when the family moved there. The experience informed her seminal play, A Raisin in the Sun about a black Chicago family seeking to move to a white neighborhood and being met with resistance from white neighbors. It's a matter of the people of Clyburn Park believing, now rightly or wrongly, as I say, that that for the happiness of all concerned, that our Negro families are happier when they live in their own communities. This, friends, is the welcoming committee. Is this what you came marching all the way over here to tell us? Meanwhile, lawyers and civil rights groups argued covenants were not simple private contracts, but a tool to uphold segregation, a social evil. In 1945, the NAACP convened a restrictive covenants conference in Chicago with attorneys from all over the country. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover labeled at least one of the prominent Negro lawyers a communist. This two-day summit took place not too long after my landlord, Mr. Williams, moved to Chicago. Good morning. morning. Thank you. I wanted to talk to him about the covenant on his building. A quiet, elegant man, Mr. Williams is a retired school administrator who blasts jazz and classical music the way I blast 90s hip-hop two levels above. He didn't know the building he bought in 1971 had a covenant. But what I learned was much more striking. Mr. Williams is emblematic of the Great Migration and a victim of racist housing policies. We moved here from Alabama. My mother came here first because of employment. She came here to work at a tank factory during World War II on a site that's now Ford City. 
Mr. Williams joined her when he was about eight years old. Along with his father, the family lived in the Black Belt in a one-room kitchenette apartment. The neighborhood was so cramped, so landlords cut up buildings into tiny apartments to accommodate newcomers. We slept and we ate and cooked in one room. But when Mr. Williams was in high school, the family moved. My mother bought her first property. We bought a two-flat in what is now called Park Manor. In 1948, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that covenants were unenforceable, opening up a host of white Southside neighborhoods like Park Manor to black families. The fall of covenants led to white flight. Some neighborhoods turned from nearly all white to nearly all black in the span of a decade. Mr. Williams says decades later, after his mother died, he found paperwork indicating the home was covered by a racial covenant. You all moved to that block. Were there any white neighbors? There were a few, but they were leaving as fast as they could get out. Do they, you, how quickly did, it, did they leave? To the point I would almost say that I don't remember them being there. Park Manor is special to me. The WBEZ Southside Bureau is located there on 75th Street. My grandparents bought a two-flat in the neighborhood on 72nd and Prairie in 1980. On one of my visits to Cook County, I found a covenant that covered both of these properties. But I'm not the only WBEZ staffer who found a personal connection to covenants in the Cook County basement. Um, But yeah, this is wild. That's my editor, Alden Laurie. He runs a graystone with beautiful interior woodwork, not far from me in the North Kenwood neighborhood. Alden discovered a covenant on that property. Ever the data whiz, he looked up the owners using census records. They were an immigrant from the Netherlands, I want to say. Um, and she was married to uh, a gentleman who was also an immigrant from Europe. They had children. They lived here in 1930. We'll never know if the family understood they signed on a dotted line that included a restrictive covenant. But many immigrants from Europe did that, and that was their path to gaining whiteness not only in Chicago, but in the U.S. Alden has a similar reaction to the covenants as I did. From the rationale, the thinking, the emotion that uh, must have been present uh, during those times to say this is something that we should do, seeing that language really made that stuff tangible for me. Researching covenants has given Alden a greater respect for what his great-grandparents endured migrating to Chicago decades ago. They endured that, they survived it, and in some cases even thrived, I just think is just really incredible given um, what they were facing and, you know, the barriers and restrictions that they were up against. So the connections are, even in acknowledging in a space where you feel like you're doing relatively well, all things considered, but still acknowledging how incredibly hard it is and thinking like it was even harder for folks, um, you know, some, some decades ago. The once white census tracts that Alden and I live in today are much more diverse with black residents. We were able to choose where we rent without the same barriers black Chicagoans once faced. And while the covenants are a vestige of the past, coming face to face with their language offers a sobering reminder of Chicago's long lasting legacy of racial discrimination and the pain it still evokes. Natalie Moore, WBEZ News.